Hey, 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 welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer, joining you live from West Palm Beach, Florida to talk some Cardinals baseball with you. The date is Friday, February 21st, and tomorrow, Saturday, we've got the first game of the season in Grapefruit League play between the Cardinals and the Mets going down from Roger Dean Stadium tomorrow afternoon. I believe first pitch scheduled for 105. That's Eastern time, so about noon central. I believe tomorrow's game is is broadcast on Fox Sports Midwest, so if you're not down here in Florida, you'll be able to watch it. Exciting stuff from Cardinals spring training. Jack Flaherty will be making the start tomorrow for the Cardinals. Mike Schultz says he's scheduled to go about two innings. Behind him, they've got Dakota Hudson playing for a couple innings. Believe we'll see Kwon Young Kim, the newest Cardinals pitcher, for a couple innings, and another guy that will be scheduled to throw tomorrow. And as I wrote about this morning, we'll see him barring a rainout or barring an alien invasion. Brett Cecil will make an appearance and pitch for the Cardinals for the first time in a long time. Did not pitch in 2019 in the regular season. He did make a couple of appearances last year during spring training, but of course, went down on the injured list before the season actually began and never did make an appearance for the Cardinals during 2019. And so it's been nearly a year since he's thrown in a Cardinals uniform. Plan is for him to do so tomorrow when the Cardinals take on the Mets. And it's a topic that we talked about a little bit on the show yesterday. I got a good question about that, and it was how many lefties could the Cardinals reasonably take in their bullpen? Andrew Miller, we talked about. Tyler Webb, we talked about. Those guys are kind of locked into spots. Genesis Cabrera is a guy that, you know, I think they, they've got him as a starter for right now. The way a lot of these pitchers come into camp is as a starter first, and then they shift as spring camp goes along, as they figure out, you know, okay, we here's how many injuries we've had. Here's how many starters we need. Here's the guys that we project to be in our rotation. Here's the guys that we project to be kind of the uh, first line of defense in the Memphis rotation, and you go from there. And from that, they can determine which guys will be slated as starters or relievers for the 2020 season. Right now, Henesis Cabrera probably in line to get consideration for starting. If they feel he's more valuable in the bullpen, that could be a route that they go. My expectation would be that he'll be in Memphis to start the year unless uh, some things dramatically change over the next few weeks with regard to the health of different players slated for that rotation. But he is another left-hander that has pitched in a relief role in the past. 2019, we saw a little bit of Henesis Cabrera, and he, uh, I believe he made like one or two starts, but then came and had a couple of relief appearances as well. So that could be, you know, down the line, the role that he sees for the Cardinals. But Brett Cecil also has to be factored into this, and if you've already got two guys in Miller and Webb that are locked in for spots, barring something insane happening, or those guys getting hurt, Brett Cecil would be number three, and in an eight-man bullpen, as it will be for the 2020 season, 26-man roster, 13 position players, 13 pitchers, five of them in your rotation, which leaves eight for the bullpen. Would you, would the Cardinals, the question was, be willing to carry all those lefties? What is the limitation there on, on, you know, how many lefties they'd be willing to have in their bullpen to where, you know, you feel like you're, you're too overbalanced on one side or the other? That can cause you problems and, and give you a lack of coverage. But it also depends on what the skill sets of those players are. And so, answered that on the show yesterday, talked about it at length, and then thought, well, why don't I just ask the Cardinals manager, Mike Schilt, 
what he has to say about it. And so I did that this morning. Wanted to play that clip for you here off the top of the show before we delve into other topics because we did spend a lot of time kind of speculating and talking about what that could look like yesterday. But it is good to hear from the Cardinals manager to say what's his perspective on the matter. So that's what I did this morning. Asked Mike Shield about it, and here's what he had to say. You know, I, don't, I don't think there's too many. I think, um, you know, look, it's really about who's going to get the outs. You know, we're going to take the bullpen that, you know, you said your bullpen for, for a variety of reasons. You put them in, you know, somewhat roles that are fluid, more fluid some days than others. But, um, you know, I don't think we're married to a number of lefties or righties. We want to take the group that makes the best sense for the greater good that are going to be able to compete and get people out. So based on what you hear from Schilt there, the idea is get the best eight, bring those guys north with you when you go to start the regular season. Cincinnati is where the Cardinals will be on March 26th for opening day in 2020. And the question, we'll begin answering it tomorrow, is Brett Cecil going to be one of those eight? Certainly kind of a forgotten man over the past year. And he's been, you know, in the face of a lot of fan scrutiny over his time with the Cardinals. And I wrote a little bit more in-depth about him. You can find that article at KMOV.com or the Baseball STL app. I also sent it out on my Twitter account at bshafer 12 and Facebook, Facebook.com slash bshafer 12 Did all that this morning already. That conversation you heard with Mike Schilt took place in the manager's office down in the Cardinals clubhouse, or I guess adjacent to the Cardinals clubhouse down in Jupiter. Because this morning in Jupiter, it was raining and from what I understand, the Cardinals, you know, they were doing some indoor workouts. They had a full game plan, though, to go outside. And they basically kind of bagged everything for today and did not end up doing uh, their normal scheduled workout routine and practices on the fields because on and off all morning, the rain was getting in the way of that. So that's why we were in the office this morning. That's also why not a whole lot of news to share about what took place out on the fields because I didn't see any of it. If it did take place, I don't think it did. I think they basically... Uh, just kind of did some work indoors today, and uh, th- there wasn't a whole lot to speak of as far as what happened down at camp. Disappointing, probably, if you were a fan who made your way over to the ballpark. I know I was talking to a few of those people on Twitter that said that they were looking forward to it and didn't get to do it today. So we'll see. I'll try to update if I can get an idea on, because I know some people still making their way down to spring training, haven't been yet, would like to come for the, the uh, Grapefruit League games. But how much activity actually goes on on the backfields while games are going on the morning of games? Because we've got games, you know, I think most of the time it's going to be around 1 p.m. Eastern time. And so will there be much to see if you were to head over on to the backfield areas in the mornings? It's a good question. I'll try to find out that information as we go along. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But I wanted to share something else as we proceed with this episode of B-Shape Daily. From Mike Schilt this morning in his office, a question was asked of... You know, is it difficult as a manager when you see your guys struggling? And this was asked in particular as it relates to Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt from last season. Is it difficult as a manager when you see your guys struggling not to be able to just give them that magic fix and that cure and say, here's what you're doing wrong, and, and you know, then they're able to right the ship and, and become themselves again and 
produce the way they're capable. In the case of Goldschmidt last year, you know, we've talked about the numbers. His numbers as uh, over his career are exceptional. They're a lot higher than they were last season. Since becoming a full-time player in 2012, Paul Goldschmidt has had, prior to his first year with the Cardinals, just one season in which he had below an 899 OPS. I, w- I would use 900, but he had one at 899, one at 850, and that was 2012. Uh, I don't know if he still had rookie status that year because he had 48 games, 177 plate appearances in 2011. Had an 808 OPS that year. Next year, 850. But since then, 952, 938, 10.05. So like 1,005 was, was his OPS back in 2015. And then 2016, 899, 966, 922. And then last year was 821 essentially the lowest of his career if you kind of throw out that partial season in 2011. And so it it wasn't up to the standard of his career norms. However, it's hard to say he was struggling. And I I say struggling because that's the way the question was framed. And when I play this clip for you, you'll hear Mike Schilt kind of push back against that idea a little bit, as he even did with regard to Matt Carpenter and just kind of talked about, and it's the same thing these guys have talked about, consistency being their goal and, and what they're striving toward. But I thought it was an interesting perspective that I figured listeners would like to hear directly from Mike Schilt. The, the clip is a couple minutes long, but he kind of gets into, you know, what do you do when guys are, are not performing up to their capabilities? And how do you handle that as a manager? And how, how do you want to see your players handle that as players, as the guys going through these, these you know, these valleys? you got peaks and valleys during a season, especially in baseball when you, you play for six months. And that's kind of the nature of this sport. And, and to play this sport, you have to be able to understand that and be able to weather those storms because, you know, th- th- there's always tomorrow. In a lot of cases, you got 162 games. You can't give away at-bats at any point in time, but you also can't give away weeks and allow days and, and individual games to turn into weeks and then months where you're struggling. And so kind of talking about uh, Mike Schilt does what the guys are anchored to and being able to call back upon that during times that are tough so gonna play that clip for you now and then we'll break down a little bit more and uh move on we have a we have a good topic as well for the show today i'm going to uh tease a little bit right now i did receive another listener voicemail question that uh gets into a little bit more hypothetical situation but a lot of fun and and a question that i had to think about a little bit in order to be able to answer it but we'll get to all that in just a little bit let's start right here with mike schilt on the struggles or perceived struggles of Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt last season? Yeah, no, I mean, listen, first of all, I mean, I think struggle's a strong word. You know, um, Carp had, was inconsistent and, and didn't live up to the standards that he would have liked to probably have. Um, I, I think, I don't think, I would, I, don't, I looked at a Goldie's year and I, I felt pretty good about it. I didn't think that was a struggle, you know. Um, I think, you know, maybe set up I think the expectation set him up for anything less than being Superman was going to be a perceived struggle um, this guy was this guy really moved our needle you know I think you're probably talking about more offensively but even there he was, he was pretty darn good you know I mean down from maybe some of his career numbers but still a, still was an anchor to what we did and a huge reason we were in the playoffs um, so, um, you know, when I look at Goldie in that sense, I look at a guy that was a real pillar for our team that, that um, I don't feel like I've got to say a whole lot to other than 
appreciate you. <laughs> you know, um, but but you know, I can to to be more specific about talking to a player that's not going as well is really just making sure to remind him that just hear him, be there for him, be available. Um, you know, be supportive. You know, it's typically never a situation where a guy's not giving the right amount of effort because if he's not giving the effort and he's struggling, then he's probably not with us. Um, so, you know, you appreciate the effort. You might want to think about making sure the effort's being directed properly, the focus is good, and ultimately as a reminder of what they're anchored to. You know, we, we don't – we teach off of success and we work off of positives, and that doesn't mean we're myopic and everything's, you know, rainbows and sunshines and unicorns. We like it to be. But the fact of the matter is when things don't go well, what are you anchored to? You know, what did – what allowed you to be the ninth in MVP voting? You know, what allowed you to win multiple silver sluggers, gold gloves, and just, you know, get back to understanding what, what's your identity? And because sometimes we lose our identity because we're, we're, we're not clear with our focus. So it's just about a refocus of what you do when you do it well, as opposed to getting worn down or beat up or mentally, you know, escaping to, man, I can't do this or I can't do that. or I'm, under the ball or whatever the case may be. What do you do when you do well? Focus on that. So I thought that was kind of an interesting perspective from Mike Schilt. And this is something that we've talked about with regard to the Cardinals. And really, it's not just them. It's in general, I think, when you talk about sports and the question is, okay, I'm struggling. My swing is off. And in particular with hitters, do we talk about what do you do when your swing is off? Do you look at video of yourself when you're going well? Or are you looking at these videos where things aren't going well and saying, here's what I need to fix? And it's pretty clear from what Mike Schultz says here that the Cardinals and the way they prefer to go about things is to find the things that you're anchored to when you are going well, positive reinforcement, figure out, okay, here's when my swing is right, here's what I've got going on. Now I want to try to get back to that. Rather than focusing on the things that you're not doing well and how you, you know, how you got to change those things, kind of throw that out the window and just think about what you're doing well and when you are doing well. And so Paul Goldsmith, I think, you know, we talked about a lot with him so far this spring already and, and the, the word continues to come up as kind of a buzzword. Consistency is kind of the the focus for him. And he was a guy last year where he would get hot and the home runs would come in bunches. He still ended up with more than 30 of them. But that's not the kind of player he wants to be as kind of the leader and the anchor of this Cardinals offense. He, he, he wants to be, and the Cardinals really needed at times for him last year, to be more of a steady drum beat where he's consistently day in and day out producing rather than kind of falling away from that production for days at a time and then getting a bunch in a row. And Marcelo Zuna was the same way last year where he could totally carry this team for stretches, but there were other times where he kind of was missing in action. And so uh, the Cardinals, I think, had a lot of guys who, who performed similarly in that regard last season. And it's interesting to hear, you know, what Schultz as a manager tries to do about that and how he tries to, to focus and approach those situations, but I think it's pretty clear that as a as a unit, that's what the one thing the Cardinals really do have to work on and improve upon uh, from 2019 to 2020. But Mike Schultz said today, this offense can be elite. Like we have a chance to be elite. That is the belief, uh, at least expressed by the Cardinals manager today. So uh, certainly, it's going to be a topic that we'll continue to discuss throughout the spring and throughout the season. Just 
can this team perform differently from what they did last year at the plate? Because that was the entire reason they got eliminated from the playoffs. And I understand the Washington Nationals had, you know, an excellent pitching staff and they won the World Series for a reason. And, you know, you kind of run up against a buzzsaw sometimes. It happens in sports, but it's not really a good enough excuse to just kind of chalk it up and say, yeah, the other guys are really good and that's just the way it goes sometimes. Like the Cardinals, it's up to them and it's their responsibility to come back and, and say, how can we be better? And I think there's a lot of that going on this season and uh, as we get going into the season, rather, and, and spring training has, has been uh, a focus for them to, to try and improve upon the consistent nature with which they, they get their offensive production. And it's going to be a one through eight kind of thing. Asked again today about the cleanup hitter situation. Mike Schilt pretty much is not something he's focused on right now. And just a word of warning, when you see these these lineups throughout the first few games, do, I wouldn't read into them at all, honestly. I would say not much, but no, absolutely not at all. Like, I just don't think it's going to have much basis. Like, you'll look and see, okay, Dexter Fowler is leading off tomorrow, or whoever it ends up being. Wouldn't wouldn't necessarily read too much into anything, because basically the way they're going to structure this in the early part of spring is about half their players, their starters are going to play one day, and they're going to play their few innings, and then they're going to get them out of there, and then the other half will play the next day. They'll kind of be on an alternating, rotating schedule where if you're playing one day as Paul Goldsmith, he's not going to play the second game, and they'll probably be back in there for the third game. Probably at, as a designated hitter. That's a little bit of news that came uh, from this morning, from today in the Cardinals clubhouse. Talking about Paul Goldsmith, and this may have been reported a little bit yesterday, but was expounded upon today by Mike Schilt. The the elbow, he's dealing with some right elbow soreness, and so we, kind of preventing and affecting him when he throws a baseball. So the Cardinals are going to put him in as the DH in Game 1. I believe that's the plan as well for Game 3 of spring training. Not something Mike Schilt was really at all concerned about this morning. I, I could tell the, de- the demeanor and the way he discussed it. Said it's really not a thing, but it, you know, and and it's a little soreness he was dealing with. Not something he dealt with last year. It's not like with the Miles Michaelis situation where he was playing through something and we didn't necessarily really know it at the time. But rather than you know try to force it when you're still in this early days of spring and you've got plenty of time left on the schedule before the regular season ramps up. They're going to ease Goldschmidt in from a defensive perspective, but I don't think it's anything that affects him when batting. Sounds like only when throwing. And if you'll recall, Albert Pujols dealt with an elbow thing for the majority of his Cardinals career. At one point was scheduled to have Tommy John surgery, but when James Andrews got in there, I I think it was just like some bone chips that he ended up removing rather than doing the Tommy John surgery. And that ended up being, you know, all Pujols needed to continue playing and it's not like a pitcher that you're 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 pitching a ball at 90 to 100 miles per hour and you need to be able to have your arm in perfect condition uh the motions involved with what he does as a hitter never really impacted him significantly and i would imagine this would be the same thing with goldsmith albert's albert's situation was like something he dealt with for years and years not something that Paul Goldsmith dealt with last year, according to Mike Schilt. Just a little elbow soreness. Sure, can it develop into something? I, I, I suppose. Um, but it, I'm just relaying the information that the Cardinals manager did not seem very concerned about it at all this morning and said that the soreness and the pain is basically already gone for Goldsmith. But because they have, you know, what's today? We're, we're still over a month away from the regular season starting. Because they have all that time, they're just going to take it easy and, and kind of ease Goldsmith in to action for the spring camp. That's basically all it is. And so we'll see if anything changes from that. But based on what it sounds like, 
if you've read about any Goldschmidt stuff, I don't think it's necessarily uh, uh, very of significant concern. If it were, the Cardinals, I guess, would, would be in the market for a first baseman or they'd, they'd move Matt Carpenter back over to first base, uh, which kind of fits into a little bit the next topic I would like to discuss on the podcast before I wrap things up today. Uh, my friend J.D. posted in with a uh, voice message, and you can always do this as well. It's anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. And that will be the link to get you. Uh, and if you're doing that from your cell phone, I've, I just did it this morning. It'll pop up and say, would you like to record? And you can record a message with your own voice that would then be played on the, the uh, B-Shape Daily Podcast. I'd love nothing more than to do that and to answer questions. Especially as we get into the season, I want people to sound off on what they think You know, Mike Schilt did in the seventh inning the night before. Do you agree, disagree, things like that. Definitely going to try to get that uh, to be involved as part of the show going forward. But for now, we're going to stick to some hypothetical questions and some questions about the future and things of that nature. This one from JD, a little bit more on the hypothetical side, but I think it's a lot of fun. So going to throw it in here and then answer it before we get out of here today. So take it away, JD. Hey, Shafe. This is JD McMillan from Cardinal, Tennessee. Um, if you could add one hitter and one pitcher to this Cardinals team that's not in the Cardinal organization and is not seen as a superstar, who would they be and why? Thanks, man. And so there you have it from JD. Thank you once again for the question. I really appreciate you doing that. And the reason I said it kind of feed, fed in a little bit with talking about hypothetical, well, if no Goldschmidt, what would happen? You move Carpenter over, then maybe you need a third baseman, but you have Edmund. It kind of plays into this because JD asks one hitter, one pitcher, removing superstars from the equation. So I, I dug a little bit deeper to try to find some of these answers. And I was thinking, okay, do I do it based on position? Like, clearly there's an opening in left field, but that kind of kills the Dylan Carlson momentum if I go with an outfielder and plug him right in. And honestly, if I'm counting out superstars, which that's kind of a vague terminology, and so you, you, could, you could say, well, this guy's a star, but he's not a superstar, so I'm going to pick him. I really tried to dig a little bit deeper into that. Guys that you, you may have heard of, but, uh, you know, like Whit Merrifield was a guy that I was kind of settling in on. But also, I figure, if I can just plop him onto the Cardinals, that's great. But he's like 31, going to be 32 years old. So how many years is that really going to benefit you? I love him as a player. I would love to see him on the Cardinals and cover him. That would be great. Um, but I didn't end up going with Merrifield uh, because I, I was thinking, I, I want to go with a, a younger player, guy that I'm excited about, guy that you know you might be able to, to see. If you're, if I'm stealing players, like if I mean, that's JD's question. So if I'm able to just steal a player from another team or hypothetically the Cardinals would trade for the guy, uh, I, would, I would be looking for somebody younger. Now this guy that I end up picking from an offensive standpoint is not somebody that I would believe to be on the trade market. He's a young player. He was actually just a rookie last season with the Minnesota Twins, but I absolutely love his skill set. He's a guy that I picked up midseason for my fantasy team and definitely thinking pretty strongly about having him as a keeper in Dynasty uh, because we get 25 keepers in this league. I've currently got 26 on my roster, and so I would have to, to dump somebody that's a pretty quality player because I've got a really stacked team. But this guy, I think i got to find find a way to make room for him somehow, unless I just think he flies so far under the radar that people don't even know who he is, and so that I might be able to draft him back in the, the first round of our little subsequent draft that we hold after the keepers are, are selected. This guy, his name is Luis Arias, and he plays for the Minnesota Twins. I'm just going to read you his numbers last season. All this kid did was hit, and what's so great about him, I mean, for the Twins, you should be really happy to have him if you're a Twins fan. Guy's only 22 years old. 
and will be turning 23 in April, so right toward the start of the season. But here's what he did as a 22-year-old for Minnesota last year. 366 plate appearances, 334 batting average, 399 on-base percentage, a 439 slug. So not a big power guy. Um, you know, just four home runs. But that's an 838 OPS and a 123 OPS+. plus. When you have an on-base percentage near 400, you're doing something right. And, like, yeah, you probably – he's a guy that could stand to take a few more walks – just 36 walks, but this guy struck out 29 times in 366 plate appearances. That's unbelievable. That like the contact rate and the ability to 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 put the ball in play and try to make something happen. That's how you hit 334 by striking out only 29 times. So I, I think about that element of his game. I also think about the the uh, defensive flexibility. Like I, I mentioned, okay, if the Cardinals needed a first baseman, it would behoove me to pick a first baseman. They do need a left fielder, but. Like, if I were to go that route, Marcelo Zuna would be somebody that could apply, like, that level of talent. But I don't consider him a superstar. Is he a star? I, probably not even a star necessarily. Good player. But, like, the Cardinals just had that in left field. So if I'm going out and I could just get anybody, but I, I want it, it to be in that similar tier, I might not necessarily confine myself to saying I have to find a left fielder because I I was of the ilk that said, yeah, they can let Marcelo Zuna go and see what they have in Lane Thomas, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill. That was kind of my opinion on that situation. That's what they did. And so it would be kind of hypocritical for me to then go ahead and, and add somebody of that ilk because if it's somebody better than Marcelo Zuna, they probably are a star and they shouldn't count for JD's question. If they're of the same grade as Marcelo Zuna, like a Nick Castellanos or something like that, then I would have been clamoring for the Cardinals to sign him when they were available, and I didn't do that. So uh, I, I'm going with Arias. He does play some outfield, but that's what's so good about him is he, he can be pretty flexible. Uh, wasn't great necessarily defensively at any one position, but played some left field, played some third base, even a little bit of shortstop, I see, and uh, played a lot of second base as well. Second was his primary position. Not a great defender in that spot, but, you know, you think Brad Miller and maybe a little more of a polished hitter. We'll see. Could have been that he had a great rookie season, and now this Luis Arias guy ends up having a, a sophomore slump and you know, the fact that he doesn't have a whole lot of extra base power that he's exhibited so far comes back to bite him. But when you strike out, you know, if he were to have a 600 plate appearance season, that would be like right around 52 strikeouts or something like that, which you don't see very often in today's game uh, across from, from starters, from guys that played entire season. So that's just what impresses me about him and the fact that I, you know, I watch baseball, but when it comes to American League games, I'm not all over it every day. Like, I focus more on the Cardinals and what they're doing and what the National League is doing. But I keep looking at my fantasy team, which had a whole bunch of Minnesota Twins on it last year, which is probably part of why it did well. I had, like, Eddie Rosario, Byron Buxton. I had this Arias guy. I had Max Kepler as well, kind of burst onto the scene last year. Minnesota hit more home runs. I, I believe they led the league in home runs, and they had – something ridiculous like 10 guys that hit 20 home runs or like just something absurd like that. I don't remember the exact numbers. I don't quote me on it. But that just goes to show, uh, one, that they're probably going to be pretty competitive this season. But two, like Luis Arias is a guy that kind of got lost in the shuffle of all the offensive talent they had on that team. And I'm excited to see what he does as a follow-up. So that would be my answer. If I'm, I'm taking away, I'm not counting the star players. And because a lot of you just probably said, who? Like if you honestly knew who this guy was, Luis Arias... A-R-R-A-E-Z. If you knew who he was before this podcast and you heard of him last year, send me a DM on Twitter because I want to see how many of you are out there. Uh, it's at Schaefer 12 by the way, on Twitter. I'm interested to see because 
I probably, honest to goodness, wouldn't have known very much about him if not for fantasy baseball and the fact that I looked him up and was like, dang, nobody picked this guy up yet? I'm taking him. And he was really good. So that would be my answer from a hitting perspective. Not sure exactly where he'd play, but, you know, think Brad Miller, but 22 years old and, you know, maybe less power, but just all the guy did was hit. Like a Jose Martinez of being 22 and and flexible defensively. So think of it in those terms. Uh, I think he would be a great addition to any team and and would be a guy that I think fans would have fun watching him play, uh, just what he's able to do. So like kind of like Whit Merrifield, but younger as well, is another uh, good way to put that. So kind of shows you the kinds of players that I kind of gravitate toward, which is another reason that I'm looking for big things out of Tommy Edmond this season. But anyway, we'll get back to the question now with a pitcher that I think could help the Cardinals out. And again, I tried to stray away from the stars and the big household names. Um, like Walker Bueller instant call would be my would be my choice if I could just take anybody. Know that, you know, you get a guy for however many years. I remember I guess it was like last off season before before twenty nineteen, I believe it was, I said Walker Bueller over Jack Flaherty. And then Flaherty made me look kind of foolish uh, the second half of last year for that. First half it was it was fine. But as far as like who would end up having the better career, I think both are just super talented. And if I were starting a franchise like you, t- you talk about like playing MLB the show, turn on fantasy draft mode. What, who would you pick? You know, that you just get to have for for the entirety of their career. Like if we're talking fantasy baseball, dynasty leagues, Flaherty and Bueller would be my top two pitching choices, and it's not even really close. Chris Paddock would would get some consideration there as well. He'd probably be number three. And again, if I'm forgetting some names that are obvious, you can. You can send me on DM, but like no Kershaw, no Verlander, no Cole, even Garrett Cole's only 29. He wouldn't be my pick uh, because I, I I tend to go for the younger guys that, that can have a decade of prime years in front of them. And that's what potentially you could see from both Walker Bueller and Jack Flaherty. But no, for this, I'm going a little bit of a different route. And it's a guy who kind of underwhelmed in a lot of ways last year. But I like having a little bit of diversity. I know the Cardinals now have Kwon Young Kim. But I'm looking at Robbie Ray, left-handed starting pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And there were some rumors about him, his name being uh, floated around in trades this past season. Uh, He's 28 years old, turns 29 in October, and then he will be a free agent after the uh, 2020 season. So possibly something to kind of keep an eye on there if, if, you know, he would be in the ballpark for the Cardinals. What I like about him, though, is... Just obscene strikeout rate, which means the stuff is there to be great, but he hasn't, you know, quite honed that in necessarily. He, in 2017, he had a 2.89 ERA with 15 wins, only threw 162 innings. So again, he's not like a guy that's just eating up innings. Last year, he tied his career best in innings with 174.1. He had the same exact number in 2016, but 2017 is the best year of his career, 15 and five. 289 ERA, 162 innings, but in those 162 innings, 218 strikeouts. Like this dude mows him down. Last year, ERA 4.34, 235 strikeouts in only 174.1 innings. So, what I would what I would say about Robbie Ray, he's been a guy who you look at the fielding independent pitching numbers, they've been pretty similar for the most part. Um, but like his FIP in 2016 was 3.76. This was the biggest discrepancy that he's ever had. 3.76 FIP, which means like kind of the way you're pitching based on if if defense wasn't a factor is the way they factor that in. He obviously had a bad defense behind him that year because with a 3.76 FIP, his ERA was 4.90. And so 
I'm not a huge guy looking at FIP, but that's obviously an example of your defense let you down. Last year, though, FIP of 4.29, ERA of 4.34. But to me, the Cardinals would be a team that, if you played in front of the defense that the Cardinals had last year, Gold Glove candidate in center field, Gold Glove candidate first, Gold Glove winner at second, candidate at short, Gold Glove candidate behind the plate. They had finalists at all those positions, and Colton Wong took it home as a second baseman. If you had all that, your FIP is, is you know, if it's 4.2, whatever, that's not amazing, but you're probably going to be an ERA in the high threes, right? 3.9, something like that. And I think behind the defense in St. Louis, factor in the fact that he can strike out guys in bunches, Robbie, Robbie Ray would be a lot of fun, I think, to watch. Again, I'm not saying he's Cy Young, but if you're talking about guys in that next tier behind the superstars, and I wouldn't even call him a star. Again, I, I kind of dipped into the mid-tier of guys that are interesting that I like watching when they're going well. Robbie Ray would be that guy for me as far as the pitching side. Left-handed pitcher, uh, just gets strikeouts in bunches. Cardinals really have not had a lot of those kind of guys. Like Jack Flaherty gives a ton of strikeouts, but he's also like really, really good. He's He is a Cy Young candidate. Robbie Ray, probably that not, not that kind of candidate, but if you get 12 strikeouts per nine innings, as he's done each of the last three seasons, uh, and he was an all-star one year in 2017, that would be a lot of fun to watch. So that would be my pick. Luis Arias on the offensive side, Robbie Ray on the def- or the pitching side, rather. And I think that would be kind of an interesting addition to kind of plop onto the Cardinals this season. I know they've got rotation depth, but, uh, you know, why not? Why not add another one, especially left-handed pitcher? That's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys for joining me, sticking along for the ride. Make sure to subscribe to the show if you've not done so already. Really would love to have you and would love to hear from you when you do. Send me a message. Say, hey, I subscribed. I'd love to know who's listening. Get to know you guys a little bit better. Chat you up on DMs, things like that. Talk about baseball. Should be a lot of fun as we continue to progress throughout this season. But you can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you find your audio listening to take place. Going to wrap it up right here. Appreciate you guys. We're going to talk to you potentially tomorrow, but we'll probably pick one day on the weekend, Saturday or Sunday. I'll get a podcast episode out and so that for your commute on Monday morning, you'll have something to listen to. Appreciate you guys. Until next time, peace.